There are men and women, there were children that were on that bridge that they didn't have control of whether they could be there because some other person, some adult, took them there. And I looked into my officer's eyes and knew that everybody got a pass that day but me. It was my decision to make and that uh, I did not want to disappoint everybody that has came before me. Life is hard, but when you find your path in life, you'll find fulfillment. I'm Sam Coates, and welcome to the Driven By Podcast. On this show, I talk to people with purpose. And hearing these stories and conversations, my hope is that you'll see your path, which will bring out the best in you. Follow me on social, on Twitter and Instagram at Sam P. Coates, and learn more about my guests and subscribe to the show at drivenbypodcast.com. My guest this week is Memphis Police Director Michael Rawlings. You may know Director Rawlings from leading the Memphis Police Department. After announcing his retirement for year 2021, I wanted to speak with Director Rawlings to understand what it felt like when in 2016 he accessed and walked with protesters off the Mississippi River Bridge. In this conversation, we discuss the principles that he has lived by throughout his life, what a global perspective teaches him about the city he leads, how to have context for the big picture when you're thinking about specific challenges, and more. Just so you know, this episode was recorded in the summer of 2020 and is being replayed today. Please enjoy my conversation with Memphis Police Director Michael Rawlings. Hey, everybody. I'll just make this easy. Do you need insurance? Do you want another opinion about your insurance? Just go ahead and call Matt Haga with State Farm. It'll be easy. If you're thinking about it, just do it. We do have listeners to this show from all over the world. So this offers only for listeners in the state of Tennessee and Mississippi in the United States. Matt Haga State Farm offers auto, home, renters, business, and life insurance. Go to madhaga.com. That's M-A-T-T-H-A-A-G-A.com and contact them. When you contact Matt, tell him I sent you. Now more than ever, it is harder to fly. That's why you need to know of AB Jets. If you want to be efficient with your time and fly with one of the safest private air companies in the world, then you need to use AB Jets. AB Jets has received the prestigious Argus Platinum rating the last eight consecutive years, which goes to less than 5% of operators in the world. AB Jets is one of the largest Lear 60 jet companies in the United States with nonstop access to most destinations around the U.S. Efficient, clean, and easy to work with, AB Jets is an experience that gets you where you need to go on time and with no hassle. Go to abjets.com for more information and book your trip today or call them at 888-520-JETS. That's J-E-T-S. Now we're going to get back to the show. Director Rawlings, thank you so much for carving some time out this afternoon, and it's a pleasure to see you and be with you, and I can't wait for all the listeners to my podcast just to hear from you today. Well, hey, it's good to be here, and uh, thank you for having us. I've been watching a lot of interviews of yours and learning about your life and your career, but one of the things I noticed kind of off the bat was when you accepted your position 
you talked about your parents and you talked about how they taught you how to take responsibility for your actions. They gave you guidance. They taught you how to be accountable. I'm just curious if you could share a little bit about what exactly your parents taught you that helped you throughout your career and where you are today and then how you've tried to pass along those values as well. Well, I appreciate you acknowledging that. I think about my parents um, almost every day. Number one frustration probably is that they have not been here to witness me serve in this particular capacity. Uh, and I'd love to get some advice and guidance from them. Uh, but uh, uh, they did a great job instilling, you know, respect to others, uh, dignity, the love of God, uh, how to, you know, love people and, and help people and, you know, teach you to be responsible for your own actions. So my mother was a retired school teacher. So obviously she valued education. Uh, my father was a very, very hardworking man. He was a deacon, uh, actually chairman of the deacon board at, at our church, worked uh, for many, many years for Coors. And so, you know, just watching him go to work every day, watching my mother, uh, you know, she uh, take me to school with her and obviously, you know, spending time with family, a lot of our life centered around church. So uh, just uh, what I thought was a good, rounded, well-rounded upbringing. I remember uh, calling my father from basic training when I went to Army basic training. And uh, I may have been tearing up, and I just told him, thank you. You know, and I kept saying thank you. And he said, man, what is wrong with you? I said, I just want to thank you because I see all these other kids from all over the United States. And uh, uh, they're not as lucky as I was. So thank you for all you did to discipline me. Uh, My dad was a strict disciplinarian. Uh, and for bringing me up to uh, be a man. So, you know, I can't thank them enough for what they've done for me. So I know you were in active duty Army, and then you were in the reserves. And then obviously you started as a patrolman with the Memphis Police Department. What things did you learn from your mother or your father that kind of gave you the mindset to endure the military, to go through basic training, to serve our country? But what are the things that you learned that, A, made you want to do that, and that, B, mentally, made you tough to keep pushing through? So there's only two things I ever wanted to do when I was growing up. One was, uh, you know, be a soldier and to be a police officer. So I remember just as a kid uh, running around, uh, dressing up in a suit, uh, thinking I was Barnaby Jones or, you know, some of the many other detective shows that that, uh, most of us grew up watching because there are only like four channels. Uh, We don't have the luxury. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have cable TV. So we all pretty much watched the same shows. John Wayne and other military type pictures. That's what I wanted to do. So I joined the Army when I was in high school at 17. And uh, shortly after getting off of active duty, I joined the police department in 1990. And, you know, parents being supportive, my mother and father did not want me to join the Army. Uh, They knew that's what I wanted to do. So I think that having supportive parents that were not easy on you, that, that, that held you accountable, the military definition of discipline, uh, the individual group attitude that ensures prompt obedience to orders and the initiation of appropriate action in the absence of orders. And what that means is that you need to do the right thing when nobody's looking. Uh, you need to do the right thing because it's right and uh, know that you 
uh, serve, you know, greater purpose in yourself. And I try to remember that. I'm just drawing conclusions off of what you're sharing, but from an early age, from what you saw with your father and your mother getting up day after day and, you know, trying to do the right thing and just being consistent. It sounded like a, a very stable home, a stable environment, and it just created this kind of security and confidence and toughness that then obviously paid off significant dividends, you know, early on and even to today. And I know when you talk about crime and you talk about making a difference and you talk about improving the numbers, which you have, you know, I know you talk about education, you know, you talk about stability at home, like a lot of these things that I feel like you go to are psychological, what the human needs to actually flourish. Watching several of your talks and your interviews, I thought it was just, you know, very clear how a lot of your solutions and what and what you feel like will create even more good is a lot of these things that you're talking about today that you experienced. Yeah, let, let me make it clear. I was a bad little kid. Uh, <laughs> man, I was mischievous. Uh, and, and a lot of the things that, that uh, some of our young people do today, you know, they think is new, but it's like, look, folks, this stuff is not new. My father was a disciplinarian, so a lot of whippings and a lot of preaching and praying to get me on the straight and narrow. So uh, I would never, you know, try to mislead anybody. You know, I've came a long way uh, and I still have a long way to go. So. Uh, I think it's important for all of us to remember that, again, we're only here through the grace of God. Uh, some of you know that I recently uh, was in Ghana, uh, Africa, and uh, we toured uh, what was a, a slave castle. And to be able to stand where my ancestors stood, uh, who made an unbelievable journey against all odds, made it to the United States alive passed on their DNA to me. Uh, I have an obligation for those that sacrificed everything, and I just will never forget that. I'll never forget the sacrifice of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, the sacrifice of my grandparents and parents, uh, you know, and, and then I owe so much to so many people that have given so much to me. And again, I, I just can't highlight that enough. Uh, but I definitely cannot undercut the things that people have done for me and the gratitude that I feel for them. Yes, sir. Can you talk a little bit about your appreciation and the significance that you have in Ghana at that location and then how, you know, you're a soldier, you're a servant of our city, you know, you're, you're a patriot of our country. I'm just curious, as you tie in your appreciation of your ancestors and then your appreciation of our country and, and your appreciation of our city, can you maybe kind of talk about some of the perspective that you have of what a healthy society looks like, what a loving community looks like, what a, what a safe society looks like, and, and how that shaped your perspective and then how you try to lead? Well, you mentioned Ghana. So uh, what the, the experience I, I saw in Africa is uh, in Ghana, uh, I think it's 35 million uh, folks in the nation. Uh, we're in Accra, and I don't remember the population. Accra is probably 8 million in Accra. A very little crime. Uh, so, um, again, a nation challenged by poverty, by, you know, homelessness, educational challenges, but a community has very, very little crime. Then, uh, and so in talking to people I met there and to come back here where 
we have so much opportunity and granted. Yes, we are one of the most impoverished, large metropolitan areas in the nation. Uh, but I love to take folks around the world and show them what abject poverty looks like. And I'm not undercutting any situation anyone is in. But, you know, when you have a worldly view of what things are versus just your own view based on, you know, whatever exposure you've had. And then there's a lot of traveling I plan on doing. I was afforded the opportunity to travel to Israel a few years ago with a group of law enforcement professionals. So walking through ancient Jerusalem, walking the path of Christ, being able to go to my ancestral homeland of Africa, being able to be in, in Memphis, a special city, on the Mississippi River, you know, reading. Uh, you don't have to go places. You can read. And I tell folks that uh, you have more computing power in your pocket with your cell phone than what sent the first men to the moon. Don't be dumb with a smartphone. Tap into those vast resources that you have. Just don't sit there and watch YouTube, play games, be on Facebook and absorb all the the sour things that, that you can find on social media. There's a whole world out there to explore, educate yourself, realize that you are one of millions and millions of other special people in the world and that you're no special than the, the young man that's in India or the young woman in Africa or people in, 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 in Asia or anywhere else around the world. You're just one person that uh, you owe the world something. You have been given life and you uh, owe to give something positive in return. Can you talk a little bit about your time in the military with the United States Army and then also your time moving up the Memphis Police Department where you had your assignment, you had your role, you had your responsibility, but then you also saw things in the military or even in the police Department that you didn't like or you didn't agree with or didn't believe in, but how do you maintain a sense of confidence and courage and then also respect of the organization and then try to do the right thing, but then also try to speak up for what you thought was right? How has that played out throughout your career? Yeah, so I think that's an excellent question. So, uh, so let's just deal with the military. We know that the United States military has a, a very rich history. I think last year I was able to visit the home of, of George Washington to think about, you know, the Continental Army and, and how they served. But, you know, everything that the United States military has not been good. Uh, however, when you look at the body of work to preserve peace and to preserve freedom has been enormous to protect our freedom. And so when I think about law enforcement and we see, we think about the, the incident in Minneapolis. And again, my hearts and prayers go out to the family of Mr. George Floyd. The actions of the Minneapolis officers are, are sickening. I can't explain it. I'm not going to try to explain it. I fully expect the authorities to uh, investigate that incident prosecute those individuals if needed to be. But, you know, those incidents don't represent the body of law enforcement. Uh, I was responding to an email earlier where if you think about Memphis and we think about use of force, uh, this is a tough city to work in. You're talking about, you know, officers responding to 920,000 calls last year. 
made 60,000 arrests, but the officers rarely use force. Force is using probably less than 2% of the arrests. There were seven officer-involved shootings. So if you really do the math and take those seven shootings and divide them by the 920,000 calls, I mean, you got about a point zero 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 seven percent chance of being involved in some type of lethal encounter with a Memphis police officer. And granted, you know, we don't want to have any incidents where an officer has used deadly force, but it's not it's not the reality that we live in. Uh, when an officer does use force, we want it to be judicious. We uh, remind our officers that we are responsible for our actions. We're not above the law. And again, you know, we have our number one responsibility to protect citizens. So there are over 800,000 police officers all across the nation that have millions and millions upon millions of encounters with our over 300 million plus citizens. You, You never hear anything about them. So I look at the body of work for law enforcement. I look at all the good that our officers do, that the Shelby County Sheriff's Office does, that other um, law enforcement uh, in the county, state, and across the nation do. And no one tries to get it right more than we do. We make mistakes, but we try to react to that and make changes. Uh, We provide training and guidance. We work with our community. We are not a perfect organization or entity, but I've been here for 30 plus years. I know what these men and women do, the sacrifices they make. And I will say that I've not witnessed many or any groups that are more responsive than law enforcement to try to get things better. And I love uh, being a police officer. Uh, I'm a soldier for life. And I'll be a police officer for life. And I'll never forget the sacrifice that these men and women have made to the citizens of this country. I will try to, at some level, live up uh, to all that they've done in giving, making the ultimate sacrifice. Was there a specific age or a time in your life where you kind of recognized, where you had that wisdom to where, like, the statistics that you listed and, you know, the way our humans, our brains are wired we can tend to just either read the negative because of what's published or we only think about the negative. So there's a real psychological reasoning sometimes why we blow things out of proportion. And that doesn't have to take away from the, the pain or the, the sadness of whatever the incident actually is. But I'm just curious from you within your own life and own leadership, was there an age or a season or a position where you really started to think about things through more of a holistic lens? Well, I, I think I probably had a, a worldly view of things majority of my life, but I can tell you in 2016, when I was uh, sworn in as interim police director, uh, I had a crash course on the other things that I thought I knew about that I didn't really know. And I, and I think that, you know, I understand the frustration that um, many of our citizens have across the nation with law enforcement because, you know, law enforcement is the most visible representation of government. Uh, That's who you see. That's who you call. You can call us in the middle of the night. We're going to show up. So we have a responsibility and I understand the frustrations. But uh, again, I try to look at the, the whole body of work and just continue to try to strive to make uh, our men and women better, uh, to make myself better. Because when I get to sit down with a mother 
that has lost a child to some type of gun violence. When I get to uh, talk to someone that may not be uh, as supportive as law enforcement as I am, that are critical of what we do, I get to at least listen to them and see that they may not see things, their experiences may be differently than mine, uh, their views, uh, where they live at. I mean, and so we have to learn to listen to each other. Uh, I think we have to learn to be uh, empathetic. We have to learn to be apologetic. Uh, but most of all, we must learn to be committed uh, to each other to make things better and not just see things from the lenses of a police officer, a service member. But uh, I need to try to see things through the lenses of a, a person who grew, is growing up in a, a war-torn country, a person that doesn't know how they're going to eat, uh, where they're going to sleep, a child that is growing up in poverty in the city of Memphis, or in the Mississippi Delta, we all have to be uh, empathetic and understanding. And that's how we learn each other's position. We learn to be more compassionate and we definitely learn that there is not equality, so to speak, but we have uh, opportunity. It may not be equal, you know, but none of us are equal. Some can run faster, stronger, smarter, but, but we can all work on making ourselves better and making a contribution. Can you talk a little bit about your ability to take constructive feedback? I, you know, in your acceptance speech, you talked about you're thankful for the opportunity. You thank God for his love and protection and the relationship that you have with God. You thank the department, all the officers, you talked about their sacrifice. And then you also made the comment, despite my setbacks, I'm thankful or something to the extent of I'm thankful for having this opportunity and I love this city and I love this country. Can you just talk about where you learned humility and how you've learned how to not take things personal but still have those hard conversations or hear those hard comments and how you just kind of live in that because it just seems so easy to get so defensive. Anybody, I mean, we're all humans, but it seems so easy to take things personal or to try to think about why the other person was wrong and you weren't wrong. You just seem like if somebody has a complaint or they have a major issue and you can physically or over the phone actually meet with them, whatever that looks like. It seems like that's something you've had a lot of your career where you're going to hear things out and try to maybe own things you can own and then maybe just hear things out and maybe not own things you don't need to own. Can you just talk about that humility? So again, I have to thank my parents and I'm a work in progress. So don't think that I don't take things personal sometimes. And, uh, if you talk to my staff, they'll, they'll tell you that my head is as hard as a rock sometimes. <laughs> but I got a great team that, that I work with. You know, I have patrol officers that'll call me or text me or email me or pull me off to the side. You know, folks in the community, you know, that'll reach out to me. Uh, you know, I think you have to learn to smoke the peace pipe sometimes. Uh, we can all find things that we want to fight about. Uh, that's easy. You don't have to look far to find hatred. But we have to work on the other stuff. And again, uh, people have been so kind and, and so loving to me. I remember uh, Dr. Rita Dorsey was our training commander. And, and one thing she used to say is, don't believe your hype. So, yeah, you may think you're the best thing since sliced bread, but don't believe your hype. You, you're, you're probably not that good. You're probably not that smart. But I appreciate people like her 
uh, and all the other, you know, men and women that you know, didn't have a doctor or a DR in front of their name. They didn't have education. They were hardworking people that, that understood the value of respect. And they taught, you know, me. And again, I tried to you know, do the best I can. And I, I'm, uh, I'm a long way from where I need to be. I'll just make sure I say that. Uh, but again, I'm blessed to have a, a job. Uh, when uh, many Americans are filing for unemployment, less have been afforded an opportunity for education, to be able to travel, to be able to serve. And, uh, you know, I just realized that how can you not be humble uh, when so many have given so much for you? And if I get out of pocket, I, I tell anybody, if you catch me doing something, uh, I shouldn't be doing or saying something I shouldn't be saying. You snatch me off to the side and do like the, the old ladies did me at church, pull my ear and, uh, you know, straighten me out. But, if, uh, you know, just know that you charge it to my head, not to my heart, because that is truly not what I would desire to do. Yes, sir. Earlier today, I was just listening to this story of a Marine Corps uh, pilot, and then he, he went to Top Gun, but he talked about when he would have to land his fighter plane on an aircraft carrier, it was one of the scariest things that it's one the scariest thing a fighter pilot really has to do is, you know, when it's dark or when it's cloudy and, you know, the waves, uh, you know, are fluctuating, et cetera. But he talked about, he would throw up. Sometimes he was so nervous and had so much anxiety before the flight, but he loved the work and he loved the challenge and the, the nerves they never left him, regardless of his whole flying career. But I'm just curious, being the United States Army and then being a Memphis police officer and then now being the director, it just seems kind of evident that emotions and anxiety or discomfort going into a situation, whether that's physical or more person to person, can you share any advice or talk about what it's like still feeling those emotions or still feeling those nerves or feeling the risk that you're doing, laying your life on the line for us and for your other officers and still going on and moving on with it? Yeah, I think the day you quit feeling those emotions and you quit getting butterflies in your stomach, uh, your heart quits beating hard, then you probably need to stop. The military and police department teaches you to overcome your fears. Uh, we teach something called combat breathing. When you feel that anxiety, when you feel your blood pressure going up, that you, you know, concentrate on your breathing. And what's funny is my Apple watch reminds me to breathe. So, uh, you know, breathe. I think it was uh, maybe uh, Teddy Roosevelt that said, you know, when you find yourself in hell, keep moving. Uh, so uh, I just try to remember those things. Um I'm not going to go through anything that nobody else has gone through. So if they made it, I can make it. Again, this is a tough job, but President Obama made it through uh, eight years as president of the United States. You can't see my gray. <laughs> I cut it off, but uh, it's there. Uh, and uh, again, you know, just trying to just face your fears, move forward, be humble. You know, honor the badge. I just never forget those things that I've been taught. And, uh, you know, some people, you know, may uh, live in a glass house and throw rocks, but I speak what I believe. I'm not scared of criticism. There's an old ancient proverb that said, criticism has few terrors for a man with great purpose. 
I think I told some of my staff that there was an African proverb that says, would you rather a hundred angry mice show up at your door or one uh, hungry lion? So I try to think about that. Uh, I want to think of that lion and, you know, keep my head up, be strong, uh, do what's right, take the criticism uh, because uh, that's who I am and that's who my parents raised me to be. And I'm just going to take that to the grave. Hey, everybody, we're going to take a quick pause here from the show and hear a word from one of our sponsors. After that, we'll get back to the show. Do you want to make efficient use with your time? Now more than ever, traveling hassle-free is harder to find. AB Jets is one of the safest private air companies in the world with impeccable service with nonstop access to most destinations around the USA. AB Jets has received the prestigious Argus Platinum rating the last eight consecutive years, which goes to less than 5% of operators in the world. Bypass the hassle and get an AB Jets jet card. It gets you 10 or 25 hour flight options that makes your experience hassle free. AB Jets carries up to eight passengers and is one of the largest Lear 60 operators in the U.S. Go to abjets.com for more information or call them at 888-520-JETS. That's J-E-T-S to travel on your own terms. From your own leadership perspective and the things that you plan or the things that you think through, how do you think through the things that you're going to really work to improve what do you, and what you're going to focus on when you have so many things that pop up that are unexpected, that you can't control, that you have to react to. And also when you're aware of so many things that need to be fixed or need to be improved, how have you learned how to not necessarily compartmentalize it, but just understand and acknowledge lots of different things, but then kind of drive your focus to the things that you believe you need to focus on the most? Yeah, good, good point. So, you know, I got a great boss, you know, so when, when you, you have a boss, you know, your priorities, I think the Chief McGowan's got a, a statement that is interesting to my boss. It is fascinating to me. <laughs> uh, you know, my boss's priorities were, you know, to reduce crime, focus on recruitment and retention. Uh, those are his top two priorities. Uh, we uh, also worked on our gang intervention our community outreach, you know, reducing our narrow one call answer time. So when you have a, a great boss that gives you a direction, uh, and, you know, I spent 10 years at the training academy. I was lucky enough to uh, stay there and see what I thought from my exposure that we as a police department needed to work on. Uh, so I was able to really uh, do a lot in that particular capacity. And, you know, bringing uh, military experience to the police department and having so much training, going to college, being involved in the community, serving, uh, being in the the church. I mean, those things teach you. And I think you you have to stay focused because you realize very quickly you can't do it all. And so uh, when we think about our priorities, I made sure that I draft my priorities down and I talk about them all the time. Uh, I share them as often as I can, you know, in the, the struggle against permitless carry. That was one of my legislative agendas, uh, making sure that the, the those that make laws for us understand that the, every decision you make, every law you pass has 
consequences, and then sometimes there are unintended consequences. You know, trying to help make the department better. I was always told to leave it better than you found it. So in trying to do that, working with the association, working with our community activists, working with our staff and our police officers, just trying to make things better and just keeping focus on those things. You can't fix everything. So you try to deal with the low-hanging fruit, the stuff that you can address, the big things that need to be focused on, you know, keep those priorities uh, the priority, keep the main thing the main thing. And also, you know, uh, my boss talks about drowning out the noise and doing the work. Uh, and I think those things are critical. I know you don't have any time off, but also know you're a man of faith. I'm just curious, what are things you can do when you're technically not at the office and technically you're not on the phone to keep your saw sharp? Wow, I don't get much time off at all. But uh, again, surrounded by so many good members in the clergy that text and call, uh, even in this time of social distancing, uh, you know, reviewing services on TV or online. There are some great people that send me a scripture uh, every day. Uh, and uh, their frustration is I don't read it every day, but, but they should know that I appreciate them uh, thinking about my spiritual health, thinking about my physical health, my mental health, and also my financial health. I think focusing on those things uh, kind of keep you grounded. But again, just understanding without a doubt with very clear eyes that I'm only here through the grace of God. And I can, you know, you know, I think every time I see my, my aunts and my uncles, they remind me of those things. Uh, and so just having great people around you that get it, uh, that remind you uh, that you're not that smart, you're not that, you're not that fast, you need to, you know, recognize uh, that you're only here through the grace of God. And, and I think trying to share those things and internalize those things, become a better person uh, and, and love yourself uh, or is what I strive to do and be. One of the things that this goes back to Ghana, I was thinking about, I know you were quarantined, self-quarantined for 14 days. I don't figure you being a person that watches much Netflix. So I don't, I don't know what you did for that whole time for those two weeks, but I bet that had to be unique. So working from home and, and, you know, God bless all the people that are working from home. Working from home is tough. Uh, you end up working a lot more than I think you do when you come to the office. So uh, that was a challenge. But uh, again, uh, Deputy Director Ryle, uh, the command staff did not miss a beat. I wasn't always in contact with them. I knew what was going on. But uh, you, when you got a great crew, uh, that makes your life easier. And I love Netflix. I, uh, there's a bunch of stuff I've watched <laughs> on Netflix. Um, What's your favorite show? You know, right now I've been watching Ozark. Okay. It's been rather interesting, but uh, there there have been so many good ones. There's one that me and the, uh, that I watched a while ago, um, I think it's titled uh, When They See Us. And it uh, talked about a, a situation where some young uh, men were arrested in New York and, you know, spent time in jail that, you know, definitely was not uh, the best law enforcement investigation we've seen. But, you know, watching different shows, trying to relax and, and, and uh, you know, get a little downtime uh, is important. I got to go out with my grandkids uh, on 
Memorial Day weekend, and we kayaked uh, in in a, a local lake and uh, spent oh, nice. gym. So uh, I work more than I do anything, but just being able to spend time with them means the world. Uh, they probably don't understand what it does for me, uh, but you know, uh, you get to see the sunshine and uh, get to hear the birds chirp and uh, realize that that we still have a great life and we are very blessed to live in a very diverse universe and to uh, just enjoy being alive. Yes, sir. Something I was thinking about earlier when you were talking, when you were facing situations that were risky personally, was your faith security for you knowing that some form or fashion it's going to be okay? And then also too, when you were asked to assume responsibilities that were a step up or had a lot of responsibility, a lot of like visibility, et cetera, like being director. Was there this opportunity or application that you've talked about where you're trying to do the right thing, you're trying to keep your feet moving and you're trying to do the best you can and serve as good as you can. And to some degree, it's going to be okay one way or another. Was there a sense of confidence and security because of how you talked about your faith? Well, some, I mean, um, some of us just, you know, that I was too stupid to recognize or <laughs> what I was in the middle of. Uh, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to, again, I, I don't try to tell people I know it all. Uh, you stumble, you make mistakes. I remember uh, President Barack Obama saying he's president for eight years and he made a mistake every day. Uh, and so uh, I think I probably beat President Obama <laughs> by five or 10. I make a bunch of mistakes, but again, you just try to do the best you can do. And uh, I just hope that I've lived up to some level of expectation. I've been able to deliver some level of service uh, and uh, demonstrate some level of humility for those that, that, that see me. I'm quoting this directly, but this was about you. It says that this means that you're looking out for the police and that you're looking out for the people in all the community. And I know you've talked about your department, your staff, all the people in your organization. You've talked about the people that you work with and you, you kind of, whenever anything's talked about you, you, you immediately start talking about your staff and all the people that are with MPD. Can you talk a little bit about 2016 when you made, you know, news because during the peaceful protests downtown, you know, of the images and the pictures of you being locked in arms with the peaceful protesters, but there seems to be just an ability that you have or an interest out of your own personal leadership. And as you've talked about earlier about doing what you think is the right thing and speaking your voice, but where you like respected peaceful protest, but then you also care about our safety and our community and all the statistics and all the work that's got to get done to make uh, Memphis as good of a place as it can be to live and for its citizens. So uh, on the other side of this computer screen is the bridge, the Hernando de Soto Bridge. So every day I come in my office, I'm reminded of 2016. So the number one thing I respected was life. You know, that was a very dangerous situation. You're standing on that bridge and you're looking down to the river. And I, I remind folks that the only time we normally go on the bridge is when there's someone, there's either been an accident or somebody's threatening to jump off the bridge or they have jumped off the bridge. That is a dangerous place. I hope that, you know, 
for the people that felt motivated enough to go to the bridge, they will never do that again because there were men and women, there were children that were on that bridge that they didn't have control of whether they could be there because some other person, some adult took them there. And I looked into my officer's eyes and knew that, 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 that everybody got a pass that day but me. Uh, it was my decision to make uh, and that uh, I did not want to disappoint everybody that has came before me. I thought about Selma, Alabama and Dr. King and, and, and on the, the Pettis, I can't remember the first name, Bridge, but that's what I thought about. And I didn't want that for Memphis. Uh, I did not want to face another mother of a police officer and tell them uh, that their child is no longer here because I made a bad decision. I did not want those protesters that obviously were passionate about what they were doing, but may have, may have not recognized the danger. I remember one of them in a later interview, they thought that it would have, it would have been worth it for someone to have lost their life. I totally disagree with that. I would never agree with that. Uh, because there are other ways to get things done. I'm glad no one lost their life, but I'm fearful of the future. Uh, last night, we saw that some of our citizens chose to protest. I'm just fearful that as we continue to manage COVID-19, continue to manage all of this built-up tension, all of this anxiety that someone will be hurt someone will be harmed, and that is avoidable. We already have enough of loss of life in Memphis. I think last year we had 186 homicides. I know that we lost 16 children to homicide last year. I think we've lost 14 this year. Last night during the protest, two young men were murdered. Over Memorial Day weekend, there were five murders and in, in, in over 13-plus shooting incidents. And so there's just so much out there that I worry about. I just hope that people uh, really think about the decisions they make, think about the things they do that impact others, think about what contribution that they're making or not making that can help or hurt us because we all are going to contribute. We're either going to contribute something that is bad for society or something that is good. I just hope that we choose to do good and work through our differences and don't jeopardize the safety of someone else because you feel that you have to express whatever you're going to express at that particular time, regardless of the consequence. So I just ask that people think about that. We recognize uh, your right to protest. We recognize your frustration. We just ask that it's done peacefully, it's done legally, and it's done with consideration of others. Is the solution to get outside of our box, to listen, to try to understand whoever's speaking their story, and then thinking of it as being a part of the greater good and what's best for the city, what's best for the community, and just continuing to try to have leaders that are not locked in on their own agendas and isolated within their own environments, but are actually trying to holistically 
create change throughout the whole city. I mean, I know that sounds pretty out there, but I mean, it, you know, I hear you. I hear your passion. I hear how heavy it is in your heart and and how, and what drives you. But I'm just curious, like, what are some what are some takeaways that we can do to actually to make improvement instead of just stalling out or going back? But you just said so. Every day I, I keep the news on so I know what's being reported. Uh, but before COVID-19, before we shut the city down, before we shut the nation down, I had the opportunity to travel all over the city. Orange Mountain, Whitehaven, Cordova, South Memphis, uh, all over. Probably 500 speaking engagements every year, uh, you know, from kids uh, in the park. Uh, to churches, you know, seniors, to, uh, you know, some individuals that were not happy with some police action all over. And I get to see that that there's so much good that goes on in the city. But unfortunately, in Memphis, our media is so negative and you hear it so much. You start thinking that that is what's really going on. So, um, you know, my advice to people is to stay humble, get off social media. Uh, Don't believe everything you hear on the news. Uh, Get out and try to do something positive uh, because you owe it to society to make some type of positive contribution. It is not all about you. Uh, It's not all about what you want to do and what you want to say. Sometimes you need to shut up and listen. But most of all, you need to be humble. And uh, if you want to make a difference, uh, you can join. Uh, If you see my advertisement in the back, you can become uh, one of the best in blue. You can become a police service technician. If you want to serve your community, join us. But you can also contribute as a citizen. If you witness crime, uh, you can report it anonymously to Crime Stoppers. Uh, but uh, you can be a better person. And that's what I uh, hope uh, and strive, that uh, I can become a better person and at least live up to have the expectation my mother and father uh, had for me. Yes, sir. I'll put the best in blue link up in the show notes. I know you're not slowing down and I know that you're going to carry these burdens and these responsibilities, you know, with you for all of your life. But I'm just curious, is there anything that you're somewhat looking forward to or some interests that you might pick back up or anything like that since you've announced that you're going to transition uh, in 2021? I know you're not thinking about it a lot right now, but I'm just oh, curious. I think about it every day. So <laughs> Don't ever think about that. So uh, I'll be glad when the beaches uh, are back open and safe. I plan to travel, spend some time on the beach, you know, spend some time with my grandkids and uh, actually get to know Mike. Uh, you know, when you're a police director, you're not yourself. You're the police director. You're you're this person in this uniform. You're the person behind the badge and, and you can get lost in all of this. Um, so I'm definitely ready to reconnect with, with me and my family and my friends and experience uh, something uh, other than uh, what I've been doing for the last 30 plus years. It's been great, but but I, I tell you, it takes a physical toll, a mental toll. And obviously, you know, if you're a hair fan, <laughs> don't, don't become police director because uh, you're probably going to lose it and yeah. you're probably going to need to color it. Uh, so, uh, but, but what a great opportunity to serve a great city. And again, I, I'm still more humble than anything. 
Uh, I've been blessed way beyond uh, what I deserve. I think I owe so much to the community. So I'm still not through giving. I'm just going to have to take a break and uh, figure out what my next chapter is. There's a beach in my future. I hear you. That sounds great. And by the way, about the hair thing, I mean, I'm 32, but I started losing my hair in my early <laughs> 20s. So if I look as good as you do in 10 years, I'll be happy and thankful. It looks pretty uh, good. It looks pretty good. <laughs> Last question I have, unless there's anything else you want to share, but you've talked about getting to know Mike and with the responsibility and the job that you have, but you've also talked about relationships that have been important to you throughout your life. I'm just curious, are there a certain few, and I'm not asking for anybody specifically, but has it been helpful for you to have a a few close relationships that you can call or reach out to any time to have some sense of community and relational connection, given just all the responsibility that you have and then all the security that you have to abide by? Oh, sure. Sure. Uh, So professionally, um, you know, I can pick up the phone and call uh, Director Tony Armstrong or Director Larry Godwin uh, anytime. Uh, my buddy Steve Anderson in Nashville, great leaders that you can bounce things off. And there's so many people I can name in the police department uh, that, that have provided just outstanding leadership uh, that have uh, done so many great things for the community uh, that I can name. Uh, you know, I go back to some of my high school teachers. I went to West Haven Elementary. Uh, I'll never forget the teacher that that, uh, taught me how to wash my mouth out with soap. (laughs) Uh, And boy, I'll never forget it. Uh, I still can taste the soap. But, uh, you know, holding books in the corner, watching the chalkboard, you know, kids don't get to do those things anymore. Uh, Going to the principal's office, taking that trip and getting uh, some wood uh, helped get you on the right track. But I had some great teachers. One teacher, um, Ms. Salisbury, I saw her uh, at an event, and I was able to publicly thank her for pouring into me, you know, my ROTC instructor, some folks I grew up with in the neighborhood, Bill Walk, Wayne Finch, that were both principals. There's so many people, I mean, my, my family, uh, my, my, my aunts and my uncles, my cousins, I just... It's just so many people to name, and you hate to start name dropping because you're going to leave somebody out, but it's just so many people. And there's still folks that are in the community that text me or call me almost on a weekly basis, and they ask, do you need anything? Are you taking care of yourself? How are you doing? They have no idea how much I appreciate that. There's been just a common theme amidst this season, and and hearing you talk about in your own life, and then and others as well, but we all need somebody to talk to, and we need more than one person to talk to. It can't, I mean, it doesn't always have to be that many, but it's just really neat to hear how you've opened up about that in your own life. I can't thank you enough for your time this afternoon, and thank you for your service to our country. Thank you for your service with our city, and thank you to all of our officers, and, and then also thank you to all of our our vets that are officers as well. So this has been a great time with you this afternoon and I've just really enjoyed it. Well, thank you for being such a gracious host and uh, thank you for all you do for our city. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Driven By Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review. Also, please subscribe to the show, follow me on social and join me on this curiosity fueled journey so that you can feel that same sense of purpose and see the opportunities that are right for you. 
all of this at drivenbypodcast.com. See you next time on the Driven By Podcast.